Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, I'm going to give you what I believe are three hard truths that we need to confront about this Seattle Seahawks team in the aftermath of their frustrating 41-35 to loss last night in Dallas. You may not want to hear them, but I think we need to talk about it. We're going to do that coming up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Just a programming note, the Seahawks will be off for 10 days. Uh, well, not off. They won't play again for 10 days. They'll have this Sunday off. Uh, and so will I, uh, traveling to Arizona this weekend. So the show will go dark for three or four days um, as I head down to the desert for a while. Get a little breather before things get crazy for me in December. And let's hope they get crazy for the Seahawks in December in a good way. Because while they're not <laughs> they're not doing much other than barely, barely holding them their head above water um, figuratively in this stretch that we've been looking forward to all season that we knew was going to be tough. Uh, they're halfway through it now. Oh, and two losses to the 49ers and then Dallas last night. Um, but they are still alive in the playoff race. And we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Uh, but these three hard truths I'm going to outline for you today aren't necessarily uh, pointed at the short term and w- what I think this team needs to do to make the playoffs this year, but just where they are as a franchise and a team. And I think we need to confront some expectations. Um, if that's even possible, because last night's one of those games that makes it even more mysterious than ever, right? I'll touch on that at the end as well. If you're watching on uh, YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, so you always get notifications of uh, new episodes, of which uh, I usually do two to four a week, and uh, always intend to do more than that. Um, If you want to hear my immediate reaction to the game last night, my rapid reaction, I did an audio-only episode of that. So wherever you get your podcasts, you can check that out. And if you'd like to listen to the audio version of this show without ads you can you can subscribe on spotify for just 99 cents a month that link is in the description of the show on spotify uh, but also i'll put it in the description here on the youtube channel if you're watching the video version so you can check that out and if you want to support the channel and you like what i do buy me a coffee that link is in the description as well all right let's get into this i i i decided to do it this way today i was, I was trying to crystallize my thoughts 
boil them down uh, into a neat, tidy little package on this first day of December. Uh, And here's what I came up with. Let's get right to it. Hard truth number three. We'll go in reverse order. This team doesn't have enough difference makers. Jeff Simmons talked about it when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. We did sort of a mid-season check-in, and uh, and he agreed. There just aren't enough blue-chip players. I prefer to define that as difference makers. And what I mean by that is players that make your life miserable, players that you have to game plan for. And f- even more than that, more specifically, Players that even when you game plan for them, they can still beat you. Remember the Raiders game at home last year in just a really flawed, thin roster. And there were really only three players that you had to game plan for uh, in that game. One was running back Josh Jacobs, uh, receiver Devontae Adams, uh, which kind of goes hand in hand with, um, with Derek Carr. And then Max Crosby on defense. And guess what? Guess who beat you? Those three players. That even though the Seahawks supposedly put some things in place to try to defend against those guys, they still beat you. How many of those guys do the Seahawks have, in your opinion? And that's why I I wanted to phrase it as difference makers. Blue chip can be, I think, a lot more subjective. We fall in love with players. We like players. It's hard as fans to let go of, of those emotions. And we let them get in the way of truly objective uh, analysis and, and, uh, and judgment. And on a certain level, it's something that organizations, teams, general managers, front offices have to deal with too. They don't want to let, they didn't want to let Bobby Wagner go two years ago. They love Bobby Wagner, but it looked like at the time he was a declining player and his salary simply didn't match the performance on the field. And as fans, you see that all the time. You see it all over social media, right? I think the best example of that is this quarterback conversation. There are people who have fallen in love with Geno Smith and his story, so much so that they refuse to acknowledge when he's not playing well or refuse to even ask the question of whether or not he's the guy moving forward and that they can win and compete for Super Bowls with him over the next couple of years. I think that's probably the best example. And so when I say blue chip, many of you might immediately think of 10 names. But those are players that you believe are blue chip because you just like them. You like their style. You like their personality. Follow them on social media. They show flashes. I'm going to give you some examples. Seahawks have a roster full of really nice players. And there are some players with some upside. But how many of those players have star potential, unlimited ceilings. The best example of that I can think of is Boye Mafe. Second year in the league, had seven games in a row with a sack. Was consistently making a handful of plays in each game, but is he a guy that causes problems for the opposing offense? Did he cause any problems last night? He's the kind of guy that cleans things up or has to have something else go right. He's not, you saw it firsthand last night, what it looks like when a blue chip difference-making defensive lineman 
is on the field. Micah Parsons causes problems on every single play. And then they have other guys. Demarcus Lawrence is a, is, is a good example of a guy who's not quite at Parsons level, but when you play on a good defensive line, he's going to get his opportunities. Uh, Max Crosby was a guy like that. They don't always beat you. You can defend against them. Seahawks did a great job against Miles Garrett this year. But they're players that consistently, you have to account for them on every play. The Seahawks, you know, were in a position to win last night despite Parsons being everywhere on the field and causing all sorts of problems. And it was because on the pivotal play of the game where they went forward on fourth down on the last drive with a chance to win the game, they specifically ran a play that was designed to let him come free, hoping to leak DJ Dallas into the flat and hit him out there on fourth and two, and he could get the first down. But everything had to go perfectly on that play, and he still blew it up. Well, it didn't go perfectly, first of all. They didn't execute it very well. But even if they had, I don't, I don't, I think they underestimated him. And I hate that call, by the way. A little side note, because of that. I get the concept. And Benjamin Solak, if you didn't see it on Twitter last night, look on my timeline. You'll see me retweet it. Um, did a phenomenal job, like almost immediately after the game, of breaking down that play, what it was supposed to be, and even had some examples uh, he had an example from a Notre Dame game earlier this year where they ran the same concept. And then uh, Matty Brown also showed some examples of when the Seahawks have done similar things even earlier this year, what they were trying to accomplish. But as Solak uh, so aptly pointed out, Micah Parsons at his size runs a 4-3-40. He's one of the most explosive defensive players in the league. That play concept isn't going to work. Would have much preferred to have a tight end on that side. Anyway, so you look at the Seahawks roster and you look at difference makers. Boye Mafia is not a difference maker. He's a nice player. Even Uchenna Nuosu, you can argue that he, he made it a difference because look at the Seahawks run defense before he got hurt week six and then after. That can't all be one player. And even when he was healthy, I wouldn't put him in this category either. Good player, really good player, borderline pro bowler, but doesn't, Wreck game plans on a daily basis. The one guy on defense, let's look at both sides of the ball. I believe that can be that is Devin Witherspoon. And one of the problems with this team is that they're paying a significant amount of money to players who aren't that. Quandre Diggs, nice free safety. He's not the playmaker he was three years ago. And his production doesn't match his salary. Jamal Adams, I'm sorry. It's I love that he came back and that he's that he's he's been relatively healthy and he he makes some nice plays, but not what's he making? $20 million, not elite money. The production's not there. And then the Cowboys pick on him in the passing game to the touchdown to Jake Ferguson where Adams didn't have a chance. So they're paying guys, even on offense, they're paying Will Disley nine or he's a $9 million cap hit this year for what? They're not paying players um, commensurate with or equal to the production they're getting because they're not making, they're not difference makers. So Devin Witherspoon's the only guy, I believe, on the defensive side of the ball. And you look at investments, 
and what they've invested. Look at the money they invested in Draymond Jones, $51 million over three years. He's not a difference maker at all. Make a play once in a while, but not a difference maker. Leonard Williams, nice player. I hope they re-sign him long-term. I think he's a guy that you need to have for the next two or three years on that defensive line. But he's not a difference maker. He doesn't wreck offensive game plans. And they give up a second-round pick to do it. Ought to get him. You look at offense. You might say after last night's game, recency bias being what it is. Well, DK Metcalf is a difference maker. Borderline, he, he, he can be, should be. We saw last night how dynamic he can be. But we've also seen games where he hasn't come up with the 50-50 ball, hasn't made a play that we think he should make, or where the targets are there, but the production isn't. Uh, he still has a chance, still has a chance if they use him properly. But look at our running backs, right? All the draft pick investment in our running back room. Ken Walker has six touchdowns this year. He, he's dynamic, but he's not a difference maker. He's not. Everything has to go well. He'll bounce one outside and make a, a crazy dynamic run once in a while. But consistently, does he cause problems? Does he create headaches? For the defense? No. Not with the offensive line is currently constructed and performing. Zach Charbonnet looks like a nice NFL running back. Is he a difference maker? Is he a guy you have to account for or worry about? Is he a Derrick Henry? No. Uh, The quarterback at times can be, but yeah, he's not in this conversation. Jackson Smith and Jigba? Maybe. Could be. Abe Lucas, you could argue, is a difference maker. Certainly, you could see just tangibly the eye test last night. How much better the offensive line looked at times uh, with him in there again. And it it looked like he was moving really well. I was really, really worried because the injury itself was just so kind of mysterious um, that it was going to be something that lingered. But he sure looked healthy, and that's nice to see. If he can finish this season out strong, go into the offseason, have a full offseason, be healthy next year, that's huge for the Seahawks. So he could be one of those guys. But it's Charles Cross. Maybe maybe he's one of the best examples of what I'm talking about here. Ninth pick in the draft. Again, nice. Nice player. Generally plays well. But is he an elite left tackle, or is he has he shown you enough to lead you to lead you to believe that he ever will be. I don't think I see it. Are any of those guys on the bench and just haven't had their chance yet? Young guys, guys that were drafted, haven't played yet. Derek Hall doesn't look like a difference maker. Cam Young certainly doesn't. I had hopes for Mike Morris, but he's hurt. We'll see next year. Oluwatimi is a center. I don't know. Can they ever really be a difference maker? I guess you could make the argument if you're Kansas City or Philadelphia, one of those teams that has an elite center. There just aren't that many. They've done a tremendous job. Again, I'm going to use the Seattle Mariner analogy. (laughs) Um, They've done a tremendous job of building up the overall talent quality on this roster over the last three years. And certainly since the Russell Wilson trade. But other than Witherspoon, have they acquired any 
difference makers. I don't think so. I think that's one of the hard truths we need to face about this team. Um, now, I will say this before I move on to the next one. I think the roster is in good enough condition and has enough young talent and spread across it at, in all positions that if you just add two or three difference makers over the next year, somehow, free agency, trade, draft, development, because some of these guys can get there. We see it sometimes. Um, it would change everything. It would change everything, especially at one particular position. I'll get to that in the final point. Number two, the number two hard truth, I'll call this one defensive deficiencies. The sample size is large enough now. I just don't believe outside of hitting the jackpot in the draft and landing a Micah Parsons or a Max Crosby, who was a third round pick, that this defense is what it is and it's not going to get any better. And I think the focus needs to go to the head coach who is a defensive coach. I touched on it last week when I talked about some changes being necessary in this organization. But I think the conversation we're going to have this offseason, if, if Pete chooses to come back in 2024 or, or if Jody Allen doesn't want to make some sweeping changes, that we've reached the point where unless Pete decides to hire a defensive coordinator and hand over the reins to him, let him run his scheme his way without meddling, that I don't think we can expect any anything different. Let me give you some perspective. The last time the Seahawks finished in the top 10 in yards per game, 2016. Let that sink in for a minute. There were still remnants of the Legion of Boom in those Super Bowl teams. I think they finished fifth in yards per game that year. 2017, they fell to 12th, I believe. But here's what it looks like since then. Actually, let's work backwards. This year, they're 24th in yards per game as we sit here. Last year, 26th. 2021, 28th. 2020, they were 22nd in yards per game. 2019, 26th. 2018, 16th. So you have to go back six seasons to find them finishing in the top 16 in yards per game. It's scheme, it's calls, it's lack of aggression, it's over-reliance on zone and, and soft zone and not, in my opinion, not being aggressive enough and not having enough of those difference makers. And you can make up for that, I think, with a good defensive coordinator who makes things difficult on the offense, who keeps you guessing. You know, there are moments where the Seahawks do get more aggressive late in halves. In the red zone, they seem to get more aggressive. They seem to blitz a little more. But this, it's just not working. It's not working. And I don't see it changing. I just don't see it changing because the man at the top isn't going to allow it to change. That's my opinion. How do you feel about that? 
And the number one hard truth that I think we need to accept, and this goes straight to expectations and they just need to change as much as I had hoped going into this season that things would gel a little bit more, that some of these players would play higher than the level they're playing at now, that, that things would come together, that all the weapons on offense would carry this team a little bit while the defense came together. The number one hard truth, this team is still rebuilding. Still not there yet. And it's nothing you can fix right now with what you have on hand. It's just the pieces, the sum of the parts isn't good enough because I don't think the parts are good enough. I do believe that you can perform better than they have been performing with consistently good game plans consistent strategy. Shane Waldron was fantastic last night. Maybe the best game I've ever seen him call. Except when it mattered most and we had those two fourth downs. And he hands it to Zach Charbonnet off the, the lesser side of the offensive line in the run game. On fourth and two, hands it off the left side and Charles Cross gets beat. Instead of going to the right side where he had Anthony Bradford and Abe Lucas. And then the the penultimate fourth down call at the end, uh, the failed play to, to DJ Dallas was supposed to be a little screen pass in the flat and Micah Par Parsons pulling that up. Just didn't like the calls there, uh, especially on that last one. It wasn't necessarily just the play design, but it was the fact that you, you sent Dallas in motion out of shotgun, took away any opportunity for play action. So Parsons knew that he could pin his ears back. I hated that. Hated it. And I don't know that Waldron has the judgment, the feel, and the instincts to be a great offensive coordinator. I think you I think someone can take this offense, this roster, and make it a top 10 offense. I do. I think someone can take this talent on defense and make it a top 15 defense. I do. But I'm going to give a shout out to Colby Patnode. You've seen him on, if you're a Mariner fan, you've seen him for years and years and years on, on uh, Locked on Mariners and True to the Trident. Uh, they also do some things with uh, all Seahawks and you'll see him on Locked on Seahawks as well. Uh, they've been on this show, uh, he and Ty Gonzalez. Uh, Colby last night responding to something I was saying said, uh, players not plays. And he was talking about the fourth down calls. Players not plays. You can draw up the best play in the world, but if you don't put the right players in position to execute the play, it's going to fail. Seahawks lost the Super Bowl because of that. The play design was fine. The call was right. The call was right, given the, given the circumstances. I'll go to my grave believing that. Uh, but they didn't have the right personnel on the field. They had Doug Baldwin, their best receiver, wasn't involved in the play at all. You had your number five receiver, Ricardo Lockett, as the intended target. Jermaine Curse wasn't the right guy to, to try to block Brandon Browner. It was, uh, you're not putting players in the right position. I thought last night, other than the two fourth downs, that Waldron did that as well as he's done this year. Tried to get the tight ends involved. His usage of DK Metcalf was phenomenal. Some of the things they, they continue to grow in the area of trying to get JSN involved. And I liked what I saw there. But players, not plays. Uh, they just don't have good enough players yet and players that are ready. 
they're still needing to fill in some holes. And the biggest one is quarterback. And I, I know you might be thinking, wait a minute, Dan, I thought you liked Gino. Depending on which show you watch, you, you might think that I like Gino or hate Gino. But the truth is that I tell the truth, I think, when I see what I see. I uh, want to give another shout out to uh, Hawk Strologer on Twitter. And I think this kind of exemplifies how I feel about Gino overall. He was he played so well last night. So well that uh, I said this on the audio only reaction show. If we had this version of Gino all year, the Seahawks would have at least eight wins, maybe nine. They win in Cincinnati. They win at least one of the Rams games. I don't know what happened for those three weeks with the best example being the Cincinnati game where there were three or four obvious plays on tape where it looked like he was taking money from bookies to not throw touchdown passes because he had wide ass open receivers that he was looking right at with perfect protection and didn't pull the trigger. But the quick game is working now. He's getting rid of the ball so quick. Micah Parsons even said after the game said, said he was so decisive and so quick getting rid of the ball that wasn't something he had put on tape. We weren't ready for that. That version of Geno Smith, you can win with. And so I tweeted, the Geno sucks crowd is awfully quiet tonight. I'll show you the exchange here on the screen. To which Hockstrologer replied, still want to draft a quarterback high? Because he'd seen some of the conversations I'd had and he saw the mock draft show that I did with Michael Thompson a couple weeks ago where I have the Seahawks taking a first round quarterback. My reply to that was 100% to which he replied, I do not understand how one could feel that way. I don't mean to call you out, Hawkstrologer. I just wanted to use this as an example because I get this all the time. I get this all the time. It's not black and white. It's not all or nothing. It's not one or the other. It's not Geno sucks or Geno's great. It's when he plays his best, he's a good NFL quarterback that you can win with. Sometimes borderline very good NFL quarterback that I am perfectly fine having as the starting quarterback for now, given the circumstances. But where this roster is as a whole, how young they are moving forward, when you look at next year's quarterback draft and how deep it is and how dynamic it is, there's five, maybe six first-round quarterbacks that can be franchise guys that can make a difference. If you go into that draft and out of it without taking one of those guys, you're failing. This idea that, hey, if you like Geno, then just stick with him and put all your eggs in that basket is a way to get yourself fired as a GM. It's time for the Seahawks to take a quarterback. And that's the final point I want to make. Both of those things can be true. And I believe are in this case that Gino, you can win with him. And I like him when he's playing like he's like he played yesterday and like he played really has ever since the end of the second half of the commanders game. I thought he for the most part played pretty well in the Rams game. Even 
that you can win with him and he's fun to watch. But he's 33 years old. He has a limited ceiling. You have options next year that have not presented themselves to you over the last two years. When the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson, make no mistake about it, they thought they were going to immediately identify a young quarterback in one of the next two drafts. But then Geno exceeded their expectations. The drafts didn't fall right. The prospects, as the draft day came around, didn't look as good as they thought. A bunch of guys stayed in school, took the NIL money in the COVID year, and some of the guys expected to come out didn't. It didn't make sense. And the Seahawks had other needs that were more pressing. It's not the case now. I believe that even with the positive things that I just said about Geno Smith, that a young quarterback with more dynamic qualities can raise your ceiling as an offense and as a team. And I don't care. Don't give me Pete Carroll's age as he just wants to win now. I'm not talking about taking a guy that's going to have to sit for two or three years. I'm taking a guy that can be a franchise quarterback for you for the long term, but also can either A, push Geno next year, or B, if you feel good enough about him, allow you to move on from Geno and use that salary cap space elsewhere so that you can wrap back around to point three today and get more blue chip difference-making players. We're going to talk a lot more about the quarterback concept as we move forward. But that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with this team. Is I think we got our expectations unrealistically high going into the season because they went 9-8 and eight last year, made the playoffs. Then drafted some really cool players and added some pieces. And we thought it would gel. We thought it would all come together. It doesn't always happen that way in the NFL. Look at the team that beat us last night. The Dallas Cowboys for the last three or four seasons have been very, very good with lots and lots of blue chip players on their roster. But a quarterback that a lot of people were torn on that had question marks very polarizing player. Was he worth that extension? Was he not? A lot of detractors for Dak Prescott over the last few years. It took a while for it all come, to come together. Mike McCarthy had to fire Kellen Moore. Had to bring in a new defensive coordinator. It doesn't always come together. We, we see it. And we see when teams are on the verge, right? We saw it with Cincinnati a couple years ago. We saw it with Philadelphia last year. We see when teams are gelling just right. Baltimore Ravens are another great example. Lamar Jackson's on his second contract now. He's been around, what, his sixth, seventh year in the league? And all the expectations, as good as the Ravens consistently are every single year at drafting, and they're always good defensively, but every year those Ravens fans are driving themselves crazy, wringing their hands about lack of weapons and receivers and, and Jackson getting hurt, and it just hasn't come together the way they had hoped. Sometimes it takes longer and we get impatient. This team may still be another year or two away from really being a contender. It's hard to accept and it calls into question how Pete Carroll's going to fit into that or if he is. It's just where they're at. Did I miss anything? Is there anything you would like to add? I know this is a very... Uh, negative type show it's hard truths i just think it's you know it's tell the truth 
Friday. <laughs> if you're not capable of looking yourself in the mirror and asking hard truths about yourself, you're not going to grow. I think the same can be said for our uh, sports teams, right? Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Uh, I will be taking a couple of days off, heading to Arizona. I'll be back next week to preview the rematch with the 49ers as the Seahawks hope to build on this game. Uh, if you want to hear some of some of the positive things, some of the things I liked about the game, and you want to watch the taste of this episode out of your mouth, go to Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your audio podcast and listen to the audio-only rapid reaction show from yesterday because there were things to build on out of this. And and the bottom line is this. I didn't even touch on this. I promised it would, but the Seahawks are right in the thick of the NFC wildcard race. Do yourself a favor. Go to standings. Go to ESPN, whichever site you prefer. Look at the standings. Sort it by conference. See where the Seahawks sit and see the other teams that have five and six wins around them. And then look at the Seahawks finishing schedule in those last three games. They could still make the playoffs. But they could also end up with as high as the eighth pick in the draft if things really go off the rails. <laughs> that's a, that's another show for another day. Thanks for listening and watching. I really do appreciate all the support. Until next time, forever and always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.